this is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever you're listening on. I'm Mike Wyman's creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King. We have a very special and inspirational interview for you tonight. We're joined by a man who was a three-sport athlete in high school playing baseball, football, and wrestling, setting Arizona state records in baseball and wrestling. He went on to play all three in college, and he played minor league baseball with the St. Paul Saints. He would go on to work for ESPN for 20 years, covering all the major sporting events, Super Bowls, World Series, Final Fours. In 2013, he was the quarterback for the Wounded Warrior Amputee football team. He is a seven-time Emmy Award-winning sports broadcaster, motivational speaker as well. You can check out his website at davestevenspeaks.com and hit him up on social media. He is on Facebook, Twitter, all the stuff you can find him there. So we are honored to have here Dave Stevens. Dave, thank you for joining us. Wow, with an introduction like that, I thought God himself had joined your show. So thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're we're honored to have you here. Um, This is just going to be a really good interview tonight. We're looking forward to it. So we're going to go through Dave's life from from beginning to present here. And uh, Brian, I'm going to let you start out with questions tonight, okay? Okay. Well, Dave, as you began to understand you were different and you faced the unique challenges, uh, what was it that reassured you uh, to continue with your athletic dream, uh, even when the world may have been saying no? Well, you know, right out of the gate, you know, strike one, being born without legs, strike two, getting put up for adoption. So the odds were really stacked against me. And and it was like in seventh and eighth grade when I got tired of seeing my friends who had legs, you know, I was born without legs, uh, playing sports and enjoying recess and that kind of stuff. And I just said, I'm going to figure out a way to do this. And I just started little by little with a, a baseball glove and a tennis ball because there's no books for how to play sports for dummies without legs. So it's like, you know, you get a tennis ball, you get a Nerf ball. I start figuring out how I can move. And I started realizing that. I could turn my disability into my ability and I started playing sports at a successful thing and, and, you know, then doing it in high school where, you know, before the internet, there wasn't a lot of, of, you know, ways to get news out there, but I was on this TV show called that's incredible back in the day. And it helped lead to a lot of things. And, and, you know, to get back to your original question, I, I didn't know I was not normal. My, my adoptive parents instilled in me that I could do anything that anybody else could do. And so I kind of always had this chip on my shoulder once I started having success in sports is like, hey, you know, if I I come out here and do my thing, what's your excuse? You know, if you guys have legs and what I found out later of me beating out these players in football and wrestling and baseball and their parents coming to terms with if a legless athlete is better than my son, is my son a failure? And it's like, no, life is about wins and losses. And we don't educate and teach our kids that, you know, we do a lot of participation trophies in life and life is not always winning. You know, we don't get that first place trophy all the time. So I I just had to figure out ways to play sports. And it led to this amazing life that, uh, you know, at age 56, I still am pinching myself for the things I get to do, the opportunities that have opened up for me, but more importantly to, you know, break that stereotype of what someone thinks a disabled person or a handicapped person is or whatever, because I always thought if they're going to stare at me, I might as well give them a show. And I think I've given them a heck of a show. So let, let's go back to your high school here, Arizona. Was there any hesitation by any of the coaches, the administrations, the 
the, the high school leagues to let you play in those, uh, in any of the three sports that you started in? It was a battle from the beginning because no one had ever done this and everybody was all scared, you know, that I would break or get hurt or then they'd have lawsuits. And it was just like going to the, you know, commissions of Arizona at the high school levels and, you know, dealing with coaches in Wickenburg that didn't want me to play. And then those coaches that were under that coach going against it and playing me and, and I'm making tackles and I'm doing these things. And, you know, it, it, well, luckily we were a small redneck cowboy town um, because, you know, we just had, you know, it was small and teams weren't huge, but if you were good enough to make a team and good enough to start, what can you say? So, I, you know, I learned years after the facts, there were a lot of, you know, people against me. And as I alluded to the parents that were like, well, my kid has legs. There's no way he could be beat out for right field or a starting nose tackle or a starting 98 pound wrestler. And, you know, it, it's those things that, you know, I took into college and I took into, you know, the pro level with the Saints and trying out for the Dallas Cowboys and the Cincinnati Reds. I'm always, you know, people aren't, aren't expecting me to show up. And I hope, you know, I know I'm like, I know I'm a legless Bo Jackson. I'm very proud of that, that I've only, I'm the only guy without legs to play college football and minor league baseball. And I hope there's someone out there like that again, because there are Jim Abbott's and Shaquem Griffins and all these people that, uh, you know, we forget about, but have overcome so much more than I have. Well, as Mike mentioned, you know, your, your three sports, wrestling, football, and baseball, uh, which one did you feel was the, was the strongest for you? That, which one did you feel like you did the best at? You know, baseball is my favorite. I love football, but wrestling was my, you know, that was my, my bread and butter. And, and once I got good and figured out, you know, what to do against you leggies, then I had the advantage because people don't know what to do against guys without legs, but I know what to get, do against you. And so it helped to me to my advantage where I learned how to do takedowns and I knew I wasn't going to pin people all the time, but if I got them tired and I outpointed them, it's a, you know, it's a mandatory pin or whatever. So, and, and to, to take that progression to, you know, getting to the state championships and beating four-time state champs that turned out to be Olympic wrestlers and then, you know, trying, you know, dabbling it into college a little bit. Um, it was, you know, I still wish I had wrestled longer and had a longer career uh, doing it because, again, it was me. It was a one-on-one -on -one athlete. And, and if you lost, you lost to a legless guy. You didn't lose because somebody was feeling sorry for or whatever. You know, I lost early. I got my butt kicked. It, take, it took a lot of practices and hard hours and, and stuff like that. But, yeah, wrestling, I think, you know, to this day and age, I, I still have a soft spot even for WWE, you know. This isn't my official question for you, but I was just wondering, my brother was a wrestler. What weight classes were, did they have? I was a 98 pounds. So again, thicker, a guy who was really muscular with his legs chopped off. So people said, oh, he's got the advantage because he's so much stronger. But then again, I challenge you, you can do so much more with legs and two arms as a wrestler as opposed to, a, you know, so I had to figure out my little tricks and, you know, things like that. And you find out later that, you know, guys practice for three weeks with a teammate tying his legs against behind his back so they could, you know, to beat me. And, and, and you get those compliments where people really took you as an athlete and not just this gimmick or freak or, you know, just this, hey, let's hand off to a kid with Down syndrome for a touchdown. I was never that. As beautiful as those moments are, the beauty of those base hits and the tackles and, and winning tournaments, that was where I really, you know, wanted to inspire and show people that, hey, I'm just an athlete. 
So let's talk football for a second. You said you played nose tackle. I, I can't remember if it was an interview that I read or, or one that I heard. That so and the nose tackle position, you were specialized in running plays. Um, so did they take you out on the passing plays, or were you still allowed to go in there and try and get your sacks? Yeah, I mean, I was in a. I was. It was always you know if, if it's a third and ten situation, you know, obviously you need either to drop back and cover, or so there was. Those were the times that they'd take me out, but I would also always be aware of the screen because you can't see me on a screen and I can pop up and either knock it away or make that quick tackle. And then a lot of times the guys were so confused about how to block me that it either led to them double teaming me, which then frees up the linebacker behind me or them not blocking me and me causing havoc to either get my hands on the quarterback or cause a fumble. So, you know, at the college level, it, it was like, again, that battle of like, he, he can actually play, so let's put him in the lineup and, and see what he, he can do. And, you know, it just it led to, you know, a three-year career in college and, you know, traveling overseas to play in Ireland and New Zealand for some all-star teams and, you know, try it with the Dallas Cowboys. So, Dave, you mentioned earlier about the, the 1981 uh, TV show, That's Incredible, with Fran Tarkinson. Uh -huh. um, as far as I know, this was the first time your story was sort of released on a national scale. So what did that mean to you to, to get that exposure and and how did that motivate you further? It was it was life changing because it's opened up so many opportunities. One, uh, a benefactor at Augsburg University in Minnesota saw me and said, hey, I, I'll pay for your college education and you can go play football and wrestle and play baseball if you want. A, a TV station owner in, in St. Paul, Minnesota, Stanley Hubbard, who God bless him, is still alive at 91 or 92 said, I want to help you to help replace Howard Cosell. And I got an internship as a 17-year-old in Minnesota working with the Twins and, and KSTP, a TV station. So, you know, and, and the, the secret of all that awesome exposure was there was this little four-year-old kid in, in the uh, green room, and I was wearing my artificial legs at the time. I was, you know, 15 years old, and this little kid is chipping balls off my legs, and it's kind of pissing me off, and I'm looking down, and the, and the guy goes, Tiger, stop doing that to that young man. So on that same show, and, and in the videos on the internet, is a four-year-old Tiger Woods and me on the same show. So, uh, you know, you never know if parents are going to cross. I, you know, sometimes I say something that it might be offensive to people, but I, I've lived a Forrest Gimp life. You know, I've played in the same outfield with Barry Bonds. I've pinch hit for Daryl Strawberry. I've interviewed Michael Jordan. I've, you know, all these crazy things that have crossed paths in my life. And I'm, I'm so blessed that... You know, I was able to turn my gifts into something that really could uh, help get me to places that most people like me don't get. So that's funny you mentioned Bonds and Strawberry. That was part of the next thing I was going to ask. So you've been in the outfield, uh, I believe it was for Olympic tryouts with Barry yeah. Bonds and yeah. uh, Odie McDowell, who also went on to have a, a yeah. pretty nice career there in Atlanta. You, you pinch hit for Dell Strawberry, uh, played with him in the minors. So w what were their thoughts? Because these are guys who went on to become all-star players, Bonds may or may not get in the Hall of Fame. We'll see how that goes in years to come. But, you know, what were their thoughts? How did they treat you? Did they treat you as one of their teammates like they should? Or, I mean, Barry's kind of known for having a bad attitude. Strawberry was a nice guy from what I've heard. But, I, you know, how did the players that you played with treat you? Um, once I get over that initial shock and realize that I'm out there to compete with them and they're not you know, going to baby me, I think it, it, it helps a lot. And then they see me, you know, running with my hands, jumping up in the air, catching, hitting, or whatever, and they're like, wow, 
my ankle hurts today. Screw that, man. Look at what this dude is doing. So I always got that. But with Barry Bonds, man, he was a jerk. Uh, I remember we were, we were leaving. You know, and again, he's 20, 21 in college. He was going to be this superstar anyway. Um, that's why he didn't need steroids. He had you know, all the five tools. But we're going over to this baseball another part of Arizona State University where the tryouts were. And there was Doug Henry and Don Wakamatsu and all these big guys that were hoping to make that team. And I got invited as a high school kid. So we start walking over and it's far and I'm walking on my hands and Odby McDowell goes, hey man, would you like a piggyback ride? And I'm like, oh dude, that would be so cool. So he bends down, I get on his shoulders, you know, he's carrying me. And then Bonds looks at him and he goes, Odeby, what are you doing, man? You're wasting your time with him. Don't waste your energy, man. You need to be fresh. He's just a waste of time. He ain't going to make the team. Put him down. And I'm like, they're teammates at Arizona State. And I'm like, Odeby, I don't want to come between you guys. And he goes, man, that's just Barry being Barry. He's a jerk. And we continued over to the field. And to this day, you know, I, I had no respect for him then. And to watch what happened, uh, you know, evolve, but that was, you know, again, you never know who you're going to run a uh, against and I'm not going to be on one of those hey he needs to get in the Hall of Fame just because he's I've seen him in the media handling people and how he's treated people and you know we can forgive Mark McGuire I don't think we've forgiven Barry because Barry has no contrition uh, but to the second point Daryl Strawberry I walked out on the field for the Saints in 1996 here's Jack Morris here's Daryl Strawberry here's uh, JT Brewett a former twin all of the Saints trying to get back to the major leagues and all the media suddenly went from Daryl to me. And Daryl said he walked out that day and he was ready to quit baseball. And he saw me before he even met me. And he said, if that guy can come out and try to give what he's giving, what am I going to do but give what I got? And so we had this immediate bond that we have stayed friends. And again, I judged him for his merits of who he was at the time, not for what the people uh, you know, judged him on in the past. If it was an era now, I don't think we'd be as forgiving. But again, that's the past. And we became lifelong friends, and we're still friends to this day. I saw him a few weeks ago. We spoke at the same area in New York, and uh, he's become a, a minister. He travels around. Um, you know, he's been re-embraced by the Mets. He gets to go to Shea Stadium. He does Yankee things, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. And like I said, I, I'm, I'm so lucky that I've gotten to be parts of history with some of these guys and just, you know, get to know them on a personal basis. And, uh, you know, like I said, get to talk to you guys. Well, Dave, in, in 2012, uh, Wickenburg High School renamed their most valuable award, uh, um, the Dave Stevens Hustle Award. Mm -hmm. So what did that honor mean to you? It means a lot because, you know, we're talking 40 years after the fact. I graduated in 84 and, you know, schools don't always embrace their history or, you know, unless it's, you know, hey, Tom Brady went here or something like that. And to, to be able to tell these kids that this kid came here, he hit, he hit 300 for his career, he broke the state walks record, and oh, he didn't have legs. You know, Wickenburg is, and the surrounding communities are very poor. Um, they're very Hispanic due to the nature of, of what those areas are in Arizona for farming, and you have a lot of illegal aliens that come, and their kids end up going to school and becoming American citizens. So there's a lot of poverty, and I came from poorness. I mean, I, I came from a one-room house. So if this guy like me can escape and do all that, it, it gives these kids hope to go, hey, I'm not stuck in this little, you know, uh, cowboy toting Ford driving type you know scenario I can escape and make something of myself and like I say if, if a guy like Dave Stevens can 
have no legs and be poor and end up winning seven Emmys at ESPN, then there is hope that people can escape and utilize those tools. But it takes a lot of hard work. And, and like I said earlier, you know, you're going to fail a lot. And, and I always say it's better to try and fail than to sit around daydreaming. I should have tried for this. I should have asked her out. I should have gone for, you know, trying to be the lead in the play or whatever. You know, just make the most of what you have and set those goals and try to achieve those goals. And if you don't, get back up, reset your goals and, and you know, try to pursue it. So let's talk here. You're covering sports here. Um, I, I just saw the the interview with Gronk that you had reposted due to, you know, Gronk's retirement also. I enjoyed that. As I mentioned in the opening, you've covered Super Bowls, World Series, Final Fours, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is there one moment that you were at that you were, you know, you were part of that sticks out to you that you say, like, I was so blessed to be here to be covering this or, or one particular interview? You know, um, I'd say, you know, being at the Super Bowl, I think it was, is it, it was Atlanta a few years ago and all of the players, the Patriots, like these guys that had started to saw me and seen what I did, that they respect you when they start doing interviews. And so Chris Long is taking a knee and talking to you and you've got, you know, uh, there's offensive coordinators talking to you and then suddenly you develop a relationship with Gronk. And so, you know, to be at a Super Bowl and Gronk comes up to you and, and punches you in the shoulder, this is my man Dave, or I'm on the ground with J.B. Smooth, the legendary comedian. He's got me breakdancing at media day when, you know, uh, suddenly all cameras are on me and it's, again, a, a guy with that legs breakdancing and spinning around and it becomes so surreal that, you know, you dream about these moments as a kid and then suddenly you are a part of these things and suddenly you're on AP and you're trending and your kids are like, dad, we saw you on this or TMZ or whatever. And like I said, I continue to get to do this at my age. Uh, Gordy Gronkowski invited me to uh, a private party with the brothers January 12th or uh, Ju July 12th on this new boat restaurant that they've opened. And it's like, who gets to do that? Like, it's, so it'll be Rob and I'll ask him about, you know, I'll probably hopefully get an interview with him about, about uh, you know, about retirement and what he's going to do. And if it is a real retirement, you know, I think yes, he's going to, yeah, you, you expect him back. You know? <laughs> so, um, but you know, so there are moments and pieces and, and things that I'm just lucky. You know, I got to see Michael Jordan go five for six in a minor league baseball game in Arizona. Not many oh, wow. people get to say they saw those things. So, you know, it's it's an eclectic mix of baseball history and football history and things that I've been a part of with ESPN and Chris Berman and things like that, that, uh, you know, uh, it, it'll make a great movie one day. So some of your recent projects include uh, the Disability and Dream Do Foundation and the Disability Channel. Uh, can you describe a little about your uh, what your role was with each? Yeah, I, I am kind of a reporter for the Disability Channel. You can see over your shoulder there, uh, you know, I'm at Giant Stadium and I get get I get to go and interview these guys and the NFL lets me be on the field and they, you know, normally they don't let some. So, I, you know, I take advantage of the situation sometimes, but it, it's great to, again, showcase because my interviews aren't about disability. It's about, hey, here's a guy with a disability doing mainstream normal interviews. You know, you can get you know, the X's and O's from ESPN, but like the time I was with uh, Aaron Rodgers and I'm like, hey, you just played the Patriots. Everybody's going to ask you because of Tom Brady, but hey, Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks? 
And he's like, wow, what a refreshing question. We had this funny conversation about, he's like, I think there's a Duncan here, but it might be by the college. And then it just let open the floodgates to have fun and just have a one-on-one -on -one friendship conversation. So it doesn't matter, you know, if I'm working the D3 day camps, which are baseball camps for severely disabled uh, kids that get to come out and participate. I, I teach them how to throw a ball and run and hit, you know, and meeting those kids and, and working with them are even bigger than the athletes that I get to travel around. When you teach a kid who has one arm to throw a baseball for the first time or a kid with severe disabilities to catch a ball for the first time, you know, that is what life is all about, is trying to give them those opportunities, those chances and those dreams that you can get out of that uh, you know, scope of disability and handicap and move on to being a successful person that can contribute in life. So you've been involved in sports for over 40 years, one way or another. I'm happy to say that you are a Rays fan like, like myself. So I kind of want to ask you, and I, I want your opinion on this, and I, I've asked other baseball players this, what are your thoughts on the state of baseball today it seems like the younger generation, I don't know if it's too long for them or, or, or what the deal is. I know baseball is trying to make some changes. Do you think that they should change the game? Um, I know they just added the DH in the National League. Do you think they should do something to speed it up or any other changes to perhaps repopularize it? It was used to be bigger than football. Of course, it's not now. And I know that NBA and hockey are getting closer and closer every year. So what are your thoughts on the state of baseball? I know we got to get with the times and certain things, you know, it's tough to shrink a game down more, you know, run off the field, get on the field, you know, all these kind of things. I think that they've done well with, you know, shortening pitchers. You have to th face three minimum batters, you know. Um, I don't like that the pitchers don't hit anymore. I've, I've, yeah. I love the, the definition of the game between the National League and the American League. You lose out on bunting, you lose out on a lot of the, the, you know, the nuances of the game that made it so neat. It was, you know, this is National League style versus American League style. Now it's just interleague and everything. The good thing is it gives jobs to older hitters. So we want to see a 41-year-old guy who has 2,888 hits as opposed to a, a career 0-1-1 hitter as a pitcher. I, I, I get that. But you lose the Otanis. You lose the Mike Hamptons. You lose, you know, uh, the fun... It was Tom Glavin and those guys in the Braves that had the, hey, chicks dig the long ball type stuff. So <laughs> the only thing I think that I really hate is they don't make it as fan-friendly fan as they, they used to be. You know, the players are, they don't want to get with the fans because they think everybody's selling those autographs and that they're going to take the same mean things to them and stuff like that. And I think we've, you know, players don't stay in towns for more than two or three seasons. You don't have a 15-year career Kirby Puckett. You don't have, you know, uh, one guy that stays in that place for, you know, a Derek Jeter. Those are going to be rare. And so you lose that camaraderie, the team building, you know, of you can rename the same shortstop and second baseman and everything for four or five years. The Garvey Ron says of the Dodger eras that I remember. And you remember, you know, all those, you know, the Willie Randolph and Bucky Dents and those kind of things. Now it's like every year it's like, man, who, who's the Rays shortstop? Who is playing for Houston? You know, the yeah. money always takes you somewhere else. So I, I don't like that aspect of the game, but I think in our lifetime, We'll probably see games, you know, uh, maybe to see the season shorten. You know, the players don't embrace the history of the game anymore. You could ask them, in, you know, in five years, who was Wade Boggs? In five more years, you might ask them, you know, who George Brett was, and they're going to be like, who? 
they just don't embrace the history of the game anymore and i think it's just you know everything is let me get my social media out my seven seconds on TikTok or whatever so i can get the likes and the views and everything like that and you like the old school guys like harper and you don't like to see him out of the game you know you like to see the the, almost the throwbacks to a Lenny Dykstra nails type people that just go out, play the game. They want to stay in that city. They want to, you know, it's not about the money. And, you know, I, I think they try to improve it. I'd like to see the all-star game change to add some skills contest. I think the home run derby is okay and they've made it a little better, but let's get some, you know, put up a, a, a garbage can at home plate. Let's see the outfielders come closest to that target in the outfield, or let's see, two runners running times around the base pass or something that just gives us that NBA-ish type feel that excites it because that used to be the, the marquee all-star game and now it's like, uh, there's just too much. Right. Brian, do you have one more? Or no, no that, that's all I have. Okay. So we'll get you out of here with this tonight. Um, all right. What is your best piece of advice for anyone who may think that they have a hardship when it comes to sports or anything in life for that matter? I'll create. I'll, I'll quote the late, great Jim Valvano. Just, just never give up. You know, if if you can go out and laugh and cry and, and do all those kind of things and embrace what you've got with the gifts that you've got, and what I've done with my little tiny body, man, there's no excuse why people can't go out and do more in life. And I hope I can continue to do this as as long as I can. But just. You know, set your goals, go for those goals, and just try to achieve everything you want out of life because there's no guarantees there's anything more after this. I'd like to believe there is, but if you get one shot, make the most of that shot. So if you want to book Dave Stevens, go to DaveStevensSpeaks.com. He's a motivational speaker. Um, you can also check him out on social media. He's on Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. There's so much social media out there now. And we want to thank you, Dave, so much for, for joining yeah, us. Nice. We really appreciate it. Uh, just thank an honor you. to have you here. That was that was really awesome. I appreciate it. It was nice to go down memory lane. So thank both of you and best of luck. And I'll remind everybody, hit that subscribe button. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next time. Have a great night.